Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. That last song, of course, we know is a familiar Christmas carol. It's written from the perspective of Israel longing for the coming of their Messiah. Many of those stanzas uh, drawing metaphors from the prophecies of Isaiah, including prophecies like Isaiah chapter 9, where we'll be today. It's interesting because their prophecies given to Israel in a time when they were being taken captive. Isaiah 9 is when uh, the, the nation of Assyria was coming to take captive the northern tribes of Israel. And Isaiah brings them this message of hope, but it's hope that's based on the coming of a future king. It wasn't even hope that they would feel or grasp in their lifetime. It's hope in a future person. What I find interesting about that is sometimes we think of hope in in terms of, you know, something in my life has to actually change right now for me to have hope. But true peace and hope is actually found in a person and something that he did. And you can find real hope for your situation today in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Isaiah 9 is all about. If you have your Bible, you can open there again to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. If you're using one of those Bibles under the seats, it's on page 482, and you can join us there in Isaiah chapter 9. But before we dig into Isaiah 9, I want you to understand how how much uh, maybe what you're facing in your life can connect with what the people of Israel were facing. They were headed into exile as slaves to a foreign nation. This was a time of darkness and gloom. Isaiah actually words it that way in chapter 8, verse 22. Notice the last verse of Isaiah chapter 8. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. The people of Israel were facing a time of darkness, and it's in that context of gloom and hopelessness that Isaiah brings this encouraging prophecy about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So friend, I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know this about the Christmas season. The Christmas season is a time that's often filled with added hopes and expectations. We sort of think that things are going to turn out a certain way. It's this time of year, of course, that we're all supposed to experience more joy and more peace and more hope than the other times of the year, right? Well, as soon as we place those kinds of expectations on a season, we set ourselves up for disappointment. And just like our hopes for Christmas can be overinflated, the the reverse can be true as well. The disappointment can be larger than any time of year because we were putting our hopes in the wrong thing. Christmas is not about warm, fuzzy feelings or getting with family or opening presents. It's not about any of those things. The hope and peace and joy that we talk about at Christmas are not found in our expectations or in our gatherings or in gifts or in any of those things. It's all found in a person. And He doesn't change any day of the year, not just Christmas season. 
And so my hope for you today is that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what kinds of disappointments have brought darkness into your life, but the hopeful truths of Isaiah 9, focusing on Jesus, our Prince of Peace, bring you a light of hope today. So Isaiah chapter 9, we learn here that we can hope in the Prince of Peace especially in our times of darkness, especially in those periods when we feel like we're in a season of gloom. (laughs) It's cloudy outside and a little bit wet. You know, hey, at least it's not snowing. Or my wife actually probably wishes it's snowing. But anyway, nevertheless, remember that transition is from verse 22 where they're in gloom and darkness. (laughs) Even though you're in gloom and darkness, here's some hope, Israel. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is first distressed. As when at first it was lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay, what is Isaiah talking about there? Well, remember, this is in the context of the captivity of the northern tribes of Israel. And Isaiah is referencing the tribes to the north and to the east of Israel, the very first tribes to experience the oppression of Assyria. It hit them first. So their gloom and darkness came early and it lasted long. And Isaiah actually encourages them and said it will be those same regions that first experience the light in Galilee of the Gentiles. Where was it that Jesus first came? He was born in Bethlehem, we know, and then he was raised in Nazareth, and his first ministry began in the region of Galilee. That's right. And so this is a prophecy for these tribes that first experienced the pain of this Assyrian captivity and oppression to say, ah, there, there will be a light that comes first to you. You will have hope again. And so that's where verse 2 says, those very people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, I want you to notice something about Isaiah's prophecy. He, he uses what's called the prophetic perfect tense. It's when you speak about the future sort of in the past tense. Like, like here, Isaiah says, they have seen a great light. Well, he's talking about the future in terms of it's as good as done. It's this vision of what is to come. And Isaiah is seeing it as if it's already happened. Of course, it hasn't happened yet, and that'll be obvious as we go down through the text. Prophetic perfect. So, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So there you notice in verse 2, our first transition, their darkness is changed to light. And it's not just that there's light around them. That light is a person named Jesus. He comes and brings them light. These verses are quoted in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, where where Matthew talks about Jesus' ministry in Galilee and actually quotes Isaiah, telling the reader, this now is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, verse 2. The light is walking in the land of darkness. It's exciting when you think about the arrival of Jesus, fulfilling this prophecy from years ago. So he would bring light to their darkness. But verse 3 shows us another transition. 
In verse 3, we read about this, uh, this abundance. You've multiplied the nation, so the, the people are, are growing and expanding. You've increased its joy. There's joy for them. There's joy according to the harvest, meaning they're, they're bringing in an abundance of provision. There's plenty for everybody as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So it's like, it's like after a big battle and they have all the treasures they've collected and the war is done and there's just joy in all of these treasures. Isaiah is saying that this time of King Jesus will be a time of joy and abundance. So now Jesus has done something else. Not only has the darkness turned to light, but now the gloom has turned to joy. The transitions continue. Notice verse 4. For you, that is this light, Jesus, have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. Well, what happened with the Midianites? Do you remember who that was? That looks back to the judge Gideon, when God used Gideon to free the people from the oppression of the Midianites. And so in similar terms, Israel's looking forward to the time when this ruler, the Prince of Peace, will free them from oppression. And so their, their yoke will be removed. That burden will be relieved. The rod of the oppressor will be taken away. There will be freedom. There are actually two transitions mentioned in these verses. Their burden will be turned to relief. Their oppression will be turned to freedom. Jesus provides these things for his people. Finally, in verse 5, we have another transition. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle, the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. The instruments of war will be done away with. The soldier doesn't need his sandals anymore. The garments that are bloody from the battle are burned in a fire. They're just used for heat at this point. They won't be needed any longer. You see, the final transition is that this king brings peace instead of war. They're just incredible as you walk down through the hope of this passage. Darkness turned to light. Gloom turned to joy. Burdens turned to relief. Oppression turned to freedom. And finally, war turned to peace. What hope. And it's hope not found in circumstances or a time of the year. It's hope found in a person. And we meet him in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. There's going to be a child that's born. We're celebrating Christmas, so the secret is already out. You know who it is. You know why we quote these verses at Christmas The son that was born, the child that was given is Jesus Christ. These phrases represent some beautiful things about Jesus. He would be born. He would be a baby, right? He would live a life. He he would be born as a man. And so this is not only the son of God, but one born as a man. Then we're told that a son is given. This is interesting because it gives us a sense that he was already a son but now he's been given to the people of Israel. Really could only be fulfilled in Jesus, who was already a son, but then was born as a gift to people. 
And so this verse is talking about the giving of Jesus. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, of course, the unto us is Isaiah speaking to the people of Israel. This is the promised Messiah, the one in which the people were to place their hopes, even as they went into captivity in Assyria. And that's where this last phrase we're going to look at for now in this point is that the government will be upon his shoulder. As they head into this foreign nation filled with its corruption and wickedness, they know that they're doing so because their own kings had failed them. Isaiah was clear uh, in his prophecies to the people of Israel. The reason the captivity is happening is because your kings have been wicked. Israel had failed to serve the Lord and obey Him. But there's coming a king who will do differently. The government will be upon his shoulders. Oh, this week I had so much fun delighting in that phrase. For whatever reason, that just stood out to me this year. The government will be upon his shoulders. It could be referring to, you know, some pendant that he might wear as a king or the kingly robe, the mantle, so to speak, that might go over his shoulders. But I just love the imagery of Christ our King and his big, strong shoulders. The government rests on him and he carries it with ease. Think of the things that our Savior has shouldered for us. Right? What did he carry when he went to the cross? A cross, of course, but more than that, he carried our sins. The sins of the world were on his shoulders when he died for us. But he carried it. He fulfilled his task. He rose from the grave, the strong, strong shoulders of our Savior. What does our Savior shepherd carry on his shoulder, his weak sheep? <laughs> He holds us and carries us and helps us through our times of need. Oh, thank God for the strong shoulders of our Savior. What does He carry through our lives? The burdens that we bring to Him when we're told, cast your cares upon me, for He cares for us. Over and over again, the shoulders of our Savior come through as He carries our loads and our burdens, and the shoulders of Christ will carry the kingdom for eternity big, strong shoulders. The government will be upon him and he carries it with ease forever. You can hope in the Prince of Peace because his reign transforms our troubles. You know, sometimes at Christmas we think that it's the, it's the gifts, it's the time with family that's just going to kind of make everything happy and good and right again, right? I remember thinking that way as a kid, you know, all the, the gifts you wish for and you hope for and shaking the boxes and wondering what's in there. And some of you kids are probably wondering right now what's sitting under your tree, right? I was reading uh, some stories of parents who uh, thought a a gift would be a great idea for their kid until the kid opened the present and realized, well, maybe this wasn't such a good idea in the first place. One parent shared the story of regretting the electric skateboards they got for their children uh, when they got a call that the batteries had died and the children were nine miles from home. One ornery uncle got his nephew a drum kit with the note, you're welcome, Sarah, I love you. I'm thinking Sarah is his sister. 
Another family shared regretting getting a floating ball that flies on its own somehow and kind of senses where your hands are. They said it looked cool in the box, and it is cool. They just didn't say on the box that it sounds like a symphony of 100 dental drills when it flies around the house. They regretted that gift. Another parent shares the excitement over the new tarantula and its big terrarium, only to regret it the next morning when they found the terrarium was empty. Sometimes we think that Christmas gifts will, you know, make everything better. Ah, finally, I've gotten what I've always wanted. Things will be good now. But it doesn't work that way, does it? It's not wrapped up in gifts that we find help in our time of sorrow. It's not found in those things. In fact, many times the things we think we want are the wrong things. Hope and peace and joy are found in a person, in Jesus Christ. You can hope in the Prince of Peace today because His reign transforms our troubles. Now, you may think of that and say, well, wait a second. He's not reigning yet. How does that transform my troubles today? Well, think of who it was that Isaiah shared this prophecy with. He gave this prophecy to the people of Israel, and this was to give them hope. Even as they went into captivity with Assyria, they could have hope in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah who would one day come and redeem His people, and that gave them real hope in the present. Now, we think about the coming of Jesus, and we're like, well, this is, this is for Israel, isn't it? How do we hope in their Messiah? Well, the New Testament's clear that this Messiah was for Israel, but He did something larger than anyone had imagined. He provided salvation for all people, and that anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ has their sins forgiven, and the righteousness of Christ added to their account. And we're told that we then also become members of that future kingdom, citizens as the bride of Christ, to reign with Him forever. So we'll be there to experience the kingdom described in these passages. But that's not only hope for the future, that's hope for today. Because when Jesus provided for that kingdom in His first coming, where He died for our sins and rose again, He did some things in us that actually begin to give us a taste of what that kingdom will be like. Think about it. Do you remember the five ways that Jesus will transform our darkness? First of all, He gives light to our darkness. Hasn't He done that inwardly? The New Testament describes the the gospel that way many times, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, walking in darkness, but the light of the gospel shone in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, light shining in our hearts so that we become children of light. And as the New Testament goes on to describe, we actually can walk in the light as He is in the light. So already we begin to taste the riches of that future kingdom with what Christ has done in us inwardly. But what about bringing joy to our gloom? Has Jesus done that? He certainly has. Do you remember his words to his followers as he prepared to go to the cross? He, he taught them from uh, his teachings, the, the, the words that they would carry with them. And he says to them, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be full. He gave us his word and his spirit so that we can have joy today. 
We don't have to wait for the kingdom. That spirit is in us now and his word helps us to see where joy is truly found in Christ. Joy in our gloom. What about freedom from oppression? Well, we acknowledge there's still a lot of oppression in the world today and one day Jesus will finally set that free. But don't forget what he has done for us already inwardly. The Bible says we were slaves to our sin. And when we trust in Jesus as Savior, we're granted freedom from that slavery. We're no longer slaves to sin, but now free to serve our Savior. What about rest and relief from our burdens? Well, yes, there will be a day when we enter that eternal rest of our God, but He has given us inward rest. We no longer have to work for our righteousness and our standing before God. Remember what we learned the last couple weeks about reconciliation, that God wiped away our sins by giving them to Jesus and then gave us his righteousness so we do not have to work for our salvation. Our labors are done. Now in response to what he's done, we say willingly and joyfully, I'll serve you, Lord, whatever you want. I'm happy to do it. You see, he has given us rest. He has given us relief. And finally, what about peace from our war? Well, He's provided the most important peace there is, peace with God. And there will be a day when all wars on earth are done. And it's right for us to look forward to that day. But don't forget the peace He has given you with God. That enmity is taken care of at the cross. And when you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you can have peace with God. I wonder if you know Jesus as your Savior. Have you experienced these inward realities in your life? What a joy it would be for you to know these things, maybe for the first time in your life, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior this Christmas. To find out what the real meaning of Christmas is. Not gifts and gatherings, but a person, Jesus Christ who died for your sins on the cross and rose again so that he could be your savior. Would you trust in him today? It's important that we hope in a person and not in outcomes. So much of the temptation of this time of year is that we hope in getting what we want. We hope in specific outcomes, that it's gonna turn out this way or that way. Hope is in a person. So for instance, take... Beatriz. Beatriz is a a mom and uh, she has uh, two students in college who are away at school. Beatriz has been hoping for weeks that her two kids would be able to come home for Christmas. But just at the last minute, their finances ran out. Beatriz didn't have enough money to do it. And it was turning out that her two kids would not be able to make it home for Christmas. Beatriz was downcast and gloomy, and, 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 and her world had just become dark around her. But as she read her Bible one morning preparing for Christmas, she remembered that hope is not found in outcomes. Joy is not found in having them all there. And yes, she desperately wanted them home, but she remembered that joy is found in a person. And so she talked to the Lord. She gave him her burdens She expressed her sorrow that her kids would not be there for Christmas, but also thanked God that she could still have joy because of what Jesus Christ had done for her. Beatrice learned to hope in the Prince of Peace, even in a difficult time.
He transforms our troubles. But not only that, we can hope in the Prince of Peace because His name proves His perfections. His name proves His perfections. Notice the name of this child in the second part of verse 6. First of all, His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, Uh, Some of your Bibles may have a comma between wonderful and counselor, and certainly that could be right. Um, But I think all of the other titles have have two words to them. Uh, And so I think this one as well should be wonderful counselor as kind of one title together there. What it stands for is that uh, Jesus will be the perfect counselor. He he knows all things. He reigns with perfect discernment. Uh, The word wonderful often refers to the works of God. It's like miraculous and amazing, beyond our comprehension. So this king, this prince of peace will have uh, wonderful counsel, just miraculous wisdom and discernment. The next title is Mighty God. This title is used most frequently for God the Father. It means hero God or savior God. He's a God who's strong to swoop in and save his people. And it's a wonderful term, a wonderful name for the Lord Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus did. He swooped in to our death and destruction and died in our place. He is indeed our hero God, strong to save. The next title, Everlasting Father. You read that one and think, well, wait a second. Shouldn't that be talking about God the Father and not God the Son, Jesus? Well, you're right. We often think of God the Father as the Father, but the Scriptures also talk about how the Messiah will care for his people like a father. This king over the people of Israel and those who've trusted in Christ as Savior, who will also be there in that kingdom, rules his people like a kind father, but not a temporary father, an everlasting father. In fact, you could even translate this phrase the opposite, the father of eternity. (laughs) Isn't that cool? It's just always will treat his people with the kindness and care of the perfect Father. And then finally, the title we've focused on this Christmas season, the Prince of Peace. The word prince doesn't have to be translated prince. It refers to uh, the, the, the primary ruler. Prince is a fine translation and it rolls off the tongue nicely with the word peace, prince of peace. But it emphasizes his position as ruler And he will specifically be a ruler of peace, the foremost one who brings peace. And of course, this describes Jesus. First, he had to provide peace with God. Israel looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and that kingdom, but what they didn't understand is that because it would be a kingdom of righteousness and peace, there wasn't a single Israelite that was worthy to be in that kingdom. So the first thing the Savior King, the Peace King, came to do was to save His people from their sins so that they could actually be given citizenship in that kingdom. And so He paid for the sins not only of Israel, but for the sins of the world that anyone who trusts in Him can find forgiveness of sins, salvation, and peace with God and citizenship in that kingdom. Talk about a good king, a 
king who gave his life for his people to provide for their peace. There's a lot in a name. Names don't always accurately represent a person, do they? Sometimes we receive nicknames that better represent us than our given names. There are a lot of names that float around at Christmas time that uh, you know are representative of different things. Fictional names are the most fun, I think. You, of course, have the reindeer that don't actually exist. Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Comet and Blitzen, all representing their speed, I guess. Well, actually, I don't know about Dancer and Prancer, what those reindeer are doing while the rest of them are running. But anyway, you've got the Grinch, who, of course, stole Christmas, right? Another fictional story, but Grinch, what a good name, right? I mean, it's just you know exactly what's coming. I think maybe Charles Dickens' fictional names are my favorite. In the Christmas Carol, you've got kind Mr. Fezziwig. He's a lot of fun. You've got tiny Tim, who's just struggling and yet has that heart that wants to bless everybody. Bob Cratchit, who can barely scratch a living. And of course, best of all, Ebenezer Scrooge. You know what his personality is going to be like right when the story starts. Names can represent a whole lot of things, but when we look at names in Scripture, especially names for God, those names represent who He is. Those names reflect His character. And so even here, the hope is not in the name itself. The hope is in the character of Jesus Christ. He can be described these ways. He will rule in these ways as wonderful counselor, as mighty saving God, as everlasting Father, and as Prince of Peace. Not only are those great names, but that's a great king. You can hope in the Prince of Peace today because his names prove his perfection. Remember what he's like. As wonderful counselor, he knows everything going on in your life. Colossians 2, 3 says this, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. So I encourage you as, you, as you face the complicated things of the Christmas season, don't forget to consult the wonderful counselor. Go to his word. Open the scriptures and read his teachings. Not only the things that he said, but the things that he gave us through his sent apostles to be written down so that you and I could have his wonderful counsel today. So often in our troubles, we ignore what our Savior has told us to do. Come back to the words of your wonderful counselor. They prove true and helpful over and over and over again. He's also our mighty God. So bring to Him the issues of your life. He's the hero of our stories, always and every day. It's His title, Hero God. And so as you face issues, don't be tempted to turn other places. Bring them to Him first. David in the Psalms teaches us to do this well. Whether we're experiencing joy or hurt, run to your Savior God first. Bring Him your troubles. He has big, strong shoulders. He's our everlasting Father, our forever Father. 
always treating us as a father should, shepherding us and guiding us and meeting our needs, and he is eternal, so there is no end to his fatherly care in our lives. He doesn't disappear, he doesn't pass away, he doesn't deteriorate, he is eternal. Finally, he's the prince of peace, the only king who brings true peace. And again, I would ask, do you know his peace today? Have you trusted in Jesus as Savior? As we think of applying this and hoping in him, let's think of Bert, another made-up character, preparing for a difficult family gathering. Bert and another family member have had a falling out, and Bert is angry with this other family member, and the other family member is angry with Bert. As Bert prepares for the gathering, he happens to open to Isaiah and read through again the names of Jesus Christ. Bert begins to remember that peace is not found in getting what we want. Hope is not found in in all of our dreams coming true. And and joy is not found in in gifts or in, in people. It's found in a person, Jesus Christ. And so, thinking of the names of Jesus, Bert took his troubles to the Lord and asked for God's help to let go of his anger. (laughs) Bert began to calm down and stop holding these things against his other family member. Bert then opened the scriptures, thinking to himself, well, if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, then maybe his word will have something for me to help me as I head into this family gathering. And sure enough, Bert opened to a passage where he was reminded that we're to forgive others as Christ has forgiven me. Oh, that's wisdom right there. Bert began to think of the ways that God had forgiven him time and time again and decided in his heart that he was ready to forgive his family member. See, hope is not found in in, in people or in gatherings or in presence. Hope is found in a person Run to your Prince of Peace for help in your times of need. Verse 7 is going to highlight for us that his kingdom flourishes forever. Another reason that we can hope in this Prince of Peace, no matter what you face, his kingdom flourishes forever. Verse 7 says this, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let's pause there for a moment. Did you catch that phrase? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His rule and peace will increase, will increase for eternity. Whoa, that's cool. Forever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, it will just get better and better. He's the perfect king. Verse 7 continues, upon the throne of David 
and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So uh, Isaiah tells us a number of things in this prophecy. First, it's upon the throne of David. So this is indeed the messianic king, and there will be a literal rule of this messianic king over Israel on the throne of David. Finally, the perfect kingdom that God has promised, every promise that he had made to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to the people of Israel, to David, will be fulfilled in that kingdom. And so this is the Davidic king, finally, reigning over his people perfectly. That kingdom will be ordered and established with judgment and justice. Think of that. There has never been a kingdom like it on earth. Now, I'm thankful for the legal system we have in the United States of America, but we have to acknowledge that even with a well-thought-out legal system, justice isn't always served. Not so in Jesus' kingdom. He rules with perfect justice. He always does the right thing. Think of that. Justice and judgment will be the the, the means by which he orders and establishes his kingdom. From that time forward, even forever, emphasizing again that this kingdom will last forever, and indeed we understand that, we'll have the thousand-year reign in the millennial kingdom where Jesus sits on the throne of David, and then at the end of that thousand-year reign, Satan and God's enemies will be put down forever, and that millennial kingdom will be ushered into eternity, will receive the new heavens and the new earth, and Jesus, the Lamb, will reign on the throne forevermore, the light will be the light of the world. Literally, there's no need of the sun because the Lamb will be its light. So cool. That day is coming. That kingdom will flourish forever. And friend, you can be there if you put your faith in that King who died for you and rose again. He paid for your sins. And by faith, offers you righteousness and and peace with God and citizenship in his kingdom forevermore, a kingdom that never ends and only increases in its peace. Lest there be any doubt that this will happen, the prophecy ends with a statement, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It will be done. Well, how do you know it's going to be done? Because God's passion for His glory, that's zeal, God's passion for His glory will make sure it happens. But notice the name of God that's used here, the Lord of hosts. (laughs) That's His army general name. That's the God who commands the armies of heaven. His passion for his glory as he commands the armies of heaven will make sure this kingdom is established and rules forevermore. Yes, I can't mess it up. (laughs) I can mess up a lot of things, but I can't mess this up. God's going to do it. He's going to do it. And the biggest piece of the puzzle is already done. Jesus came and died for the sins of the world and rose again, showing himself to be the Messiah. 
He conquered death. He'll conquer it all. There's so much hope in these verses. His kingdom flourishes forever. One of the things I love most about the Christmas season is uh, the smell of pine in the air. Whether it's your real Christmas tree at home or a nice real wreath that you got or, you know, wherever it else that you might go. Uh, there's an extra, maybe you have a pine candle even, I don't know, but that's a nice smell, isn't it? There's a little bit extra of that this year. So growing up, uh, we used to always have a, a, a real Christmas tree in our house. And uh, so as one of our, you know, traditions is shortly after Thanksgiving, we'd go uh, cut down, no, 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 we were lazy. We'd go to Menards and uh, buy a tree right, try to get the perfectly shaped one and bring it home and put it up. And then, and then the task was try to keep it watered and, and somewhat living, you know, all the way through Christmas. Because you know what happens if a tree dries out, all the needles begin falling off, and then you just have a huge mess. And so, uh, w- you know, we had assignments of who was supposed to water the tree, and you, know, you have to crawl under there and, you know, kind of scoot the presents aside and pour the water in and make sure it has enough to survive. Now, this became such a passionate task in our home. I think my sister even did a science project one year trying to figure out the best water mixture to keep the tree alive. She actually discovered that a little bit of mouthwash in the water keeps it alive longer. So there you, there's your tip. Uh, if you learn nothing else today, there's at least that. Hopefully that's not the lesson you come away with. Anyway, well, We got so passionate about figuring out how to water the tree because one year the tree did not get watered on schedule. And so the tree began to dry out and it got to the point of no return where then even if you did water it, it was still dead as a doornail, right? And so we're like, well, we'll just keep it up as long as possible and nobody touched the tree, right? Because if you touched it, you know, 30 needles fell to the ground so don't touch the tree. You know, I remember carefully taking the ornaments off of that thing, you know, hoping that no needles would drop. And we were actually doing quite well until it came to carrying it out of the house. We bumped into a door frame, and I think every last needle just dropped off that thing and fell on the ground. And so we spent the next few hours cleaning up tree needles. Dead things don't flourish, do they? Even if you put a little mouthwash in the water, it just do- it's not going to do the trick doesn't have a source of life. But the kingdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ, flourishes forever. Of its increase, there will be no end. Why? Because its king is Jesus. It's Jesus. He shoulders it all. The government is on his shoulders, and he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, the hero God. He's our everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's got it. And he already proved it when he died for our sins and rose again. So friends, no matter what you face today, hope in him. Hope in him. So many come to Jesus hoping to kind of add him to our lives to make things better. I've got a pretty decent little kingdom set up We don't typically refer to it as our own little kingdom, but it's what it is. I've got a pretty good life going, but there's a few struggles here. I think think adding Jesus to what I've got going will really, really help me. But we forget who he is when we do that. 
He, he, he's not a mouthwash additive to water to help the tree flourish a little bit. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his title and his eternal reign give us the right perspective on how we come to him. It's his kingdom, not mine. So the way I come to Jesus at Christmas time needs to be not, okay, Jesus, come help my world a little, be a little bit better. No. We bow before one with this title. We come on our knees before the King of kings and Lord of lords because His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So maybe the way you need to see Jesus this Christmas to find hope and peace and joy is actually to bow to him again. You've been trying to kind of finagle Jesus into your life in such a way that he'll sort of improve the things that you have laid out and planned for your little kingdom in this life. And what you need to finally experience his joy and peace and hope is to bow before the one who will reign forever Do you realize that's what heaven is? A lot of us have imaginations of heaven just being really good for me. This is great. I get rewards and there's just going to be joy forever. Don't get me wrong. There will be. But the whole thing is just bow to Jesus forever. Now's the time to start. Bow your heart to him this Christmas. And begin to experience now the joy and peace and hope that comes when you humble yourself before the King of Kings. Because friends, he's a good king. You don't have to be afraid to bow before him. He's a saving God and a kind, everlasting father. He's merciful and patient. So don't resist. Bow the knee to the Prince of Peace. And look forward to the time when you'll get to do that forever in his kingdom. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Isaiah 9 gives us some fresh and exciting glimpses of what he's like, but this is not the whole picture. We confess that we don't even fully grasp the beauty and the riches of our Jesus. And so I pray that this Christmas you would help us to just clear away the clutter of of false hopes and unmet expectations and the the silly things that we expect to, to make our lives better. Father, help us to come to our Prince of Peace this Christmas, to look to Him as the one, the only one, who gives joy and hope and peace. Help us to bow before Him today And watch as he transforms our hearts and gives the the peace and joy and hope that can't be found anywhere else. We need you. And we thank you for what you've done in Jesus, our Savior. And we ask that you would give opportunity even today to bring glory to the name of Christ by even maybe bringing some here today to faith in Jesus. Maybe for the first time, finding peace in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him and we praise you in his precious name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.